Thank you for tuning into this podcast. Today, I'm interviewing somebody who has truly taught me that no matter how much you go through, you can still come out on the other side. Minister Danielle McCord has been through more trials than I've ever heard anybody going through. All of that led her to not only write one book, but two. Danielle is traveling the nation, preaching her story, and now has an ongoing play so people can walk through her story visually with her. I'm so excited for you all to hear the heart behind Minister Danny, and I hope her story inspires you the way it did me. Check out this conversation that we had. We have Danielle McCord here. I am so excited for her to be in this podcast. She has a crazy testimony, one like I've never heard before, which I'm sure she hears a lot. It is so powerful, and just hearing her redemption story of how she actually came out of this, I can't wait to be able to talk to her. So thank you so much, Danielle, for being here, being on the podcast, and just taking time out of your day to speak to me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for asking me to do this. I'm honored. I'm so excited because I got some of your videos sent to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this real life? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> awesome because if you do hear stories like that, you you don't hear the redemption story, you know? And so it's just so cool that you have this story where you actually came back to Christ and was like, okay, and gave your life to him and started over. And so that's the part that really inspires me. But go ahead, tell me a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up in like, you know, a Christian home? Like, what was your home life like? And then, you know, just start from there. Just tell me kind of what you went through. My home life was very dysfunctional. My mother and father were very abusive towards one another, so I grew up seeing violence. So my mother ended up leaving my dad. And in most cases, you know, the children normally go with the mom, but Mm -hmm. this was a little different. I stayed with my dad. My dad was... He was a great father at that time, but he was a horrible man. He was very abusive towards women. He was a womanizer, so Mm -hmm. a lot of women, he didn't care that I saw him, you know, beat them and, you know, just do all kind of crazy things. So my home life was very dysfunctional coming up. And, you know, as a young kid, every parent, I always tell them to be very careful what you do in front of your children because they're they're soaking it up like a sponge. You know, if mommy and daddy are doing it, then we think that it's okay. And so I thought it was normal for a man to, you know, beat women because my dad did it. I stayed with him till I was about 10 years old, but my father was an alcoholic and he had some mental issues. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Mm. On top of that, being an alcoholic, and one day, one day he... Um, I got in trouble at school, and he beat me really bad. Like, he beat me till I was unconscious. Then he put me in a bathtub, and he tried to drown me in the bathtub. Wow. That was just so traumatic. But even prior to that happening, when I was eight years old, my dad used to take me to a babysitter. The babysitter's son was like a teenager, and I was around eight, and he used to molest me when Mm -hmm. I was eight. So I didn't get any help for that then my dad two years later I'm 10 my dad tried to kill me you know didn't really get any help from that I ended up leaving my father and going to my mom and I'm about 12 years old now um and there was a neighbor across the street from us the older guy you know how a family friend kind of person and very familiar with this man and uh one day he asked me to you know he invited me over and I went into his house and he raped me Mm. when I was 12 so now, you know, I'm only 12 years old. I've already been molested at 8. My father tried to kill me at 10. My neighbor just raped me at 12. Yeah. So I started rebelling a little bit and acting out. You know, a lot of kids 
uh, I pay. I tell parents and just people who deal with kids to pay attention to the behavior. Mm-hmm. If you're around a child that has, you know, been pretty good, no problems, and all of a sudden they just switch, mm-hmm. there's something that happened, and yeah. that's what happened with me. Like I was a really good kid, and then when all this stuff happened, I just switched. Um, a year later, I was 13, and I ended up meeting a guy who was 27 years old. He was a pimp, and we ended up being intimate one time, and I got pregnant at 13 years old. Wow. Yeah, and I hit my pregnancy up until it was time uh, from when I decided that I was going to keep it. My water ended up breaking, and I ended up giving birth to my son, mm-hmm. who ended up dying in my arms. Wow. So I was 13 years old, and I was in the hospital. I just given birth to a little boy who ended up passing away not long after that. And I just I just filled up with rage, mm-hmm. you know. I, I filled up with rage and anger, and I just, I was angry, very rebellious, you know, acting out. I ran away from home, and I started stripping mm-hmm. at 14 years old. No prostitution, nothing like that, just strictly dancing. And then... I saw some things in the club that I wasn't prepared for. Cause I, I mean, even though I was acting grown and, and looking grown and being around adults, I still was just a little girl. And so there were some things that were happening in the nightclubs that I was like, ah, I don't think mm-hmm. I want to be here anymore. <laughs> right. So I ended up going back home with my grandparents. My grandparents were my safe haven for me because they were in church and they were, you know, they were old school Southern people who, you know, if, it don't matter what you're into. If you're in grandma and granddad's house, you're going to church. Right. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yep. So I went into church. I was 15 years old and I started doing good now. You know, I was kind of not being so rebellious and acting out as much and so I'm in church I'm back in school I got a little summer job you know being a normal teenager Mm -hmm. and while I was in church I used to love to sing back then and I joined the youth choir I was 15 and while I was singing you know singing for the Lord my choir member introduced me to prostitution wow yes my choir member I was 15 she was 18 and we met in the church we met in the choir and she you know introduced me to prostitution (laughs) you know and so I started prostituting with my choir member from the age of 15 she not only introduced me to prostitution but she also introduced me to drugs and so Mm -hmm. I found myself becoming addicted to cocaine and ecstasy at such a young age and I did this throughout 15, 16, 17 years old and 17 I met some porn stars in a nightclub and they were just like you know if you think you're making money now you haven't seen anything yet Right. and so when you're in that lifestyle you always try to find ways to make even more money mm-hmm. money, 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 money is the goal yeah. the bible says love of money mm-hmm. is the root to all evil yeah. and so in that lifestyle you're in love with money fast money, the more money the better no matter how it's deteriorating you no matter how it's killing you no matter how it's degrading you the love for money the want for money is the desire and the drive to continue and so when they said you know you want to make some real money at 17 years old I'm not thinking about you know these movies are going to be out for the rest of my life what happens if I'm going to be a mom what happens if I'm going to be a wife where are my family and friends I didn't see that or even think about that all I thought about was more money I'm going to a porn set um, in San Fernando Valley in California 
I, was, I turned 18, like maybe a few weeks later, and so I started doing pornography at 18 years old, and I was doing these movies, and they were right. I was making even more money mm-hmm. on top of the dancing, on top of all the other things that I was doing. I was making all this money, but I was dying on the inside. I was so miserable. I was so unhappy. The Bible says, what profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Yeah. And that is exactly what I was going through. I was gaining all of these worldly possessions and all these materialistic things. But on the inside, I was dying. I increased my drug use even more. I started drinking even more. Um, I was suicidal. I was just miserable. But mm-hmm. I had money, though. Right. You know? Yeah. It was like, you're dying, but you're balling, you right. know? And <laughs> right. say that to say money does not bring happiness yeah. because I definitely had that, but I was miserable. Wow. You know, look at all the things that I was doing to get that. And then, so that was the gist of that and how I ended up getting out. I used to travel a lot. Like I was, what would have been considered one of the high class girls, high class escorts. Mm-hmm. So guys would, you know, fly me out and I would travel a lot. Um, this guy ended up flying me from Los Angeles to New York. Mm-hmm. And long story short, he was crazy. And he locked me up in a basement after I got there. I was there for a few days. Then he locked me up in a basement and he beat me and he raped me and he told me over and over again, you know, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to leave here. Yeah. All of this stuff. And I've, I've been in situations before. I've obviously been in the streets all those years. I've, I've been close to death, but nothing like this. Like right. this was the ultimate. Yeah. You know, it was like a lifetime movie network. Right, kind of for situation. sure. <laughs> for <laughs> sure. It was like a movie, a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. And I knew that this man was going to kill me. Yeah. How long um, were you in the basement? Three weeks. Wow. I was only supposed to be in New York for like a couple of days, and I was locked up in this basement for three weeks. Wow. I, even though, like I told you, I was stripping, and I was prostituting, and I was doing porn, but I always stayed in church. Like, mm-hmm. I was a hypocristian. Yeah. <laughs> I was a hypocristian. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I lived a <laughs> sinful life, but I always was in church, you know? <clears throat> I never left, and I got all the stares and all the pointed fingers and all the whispers. But I didn't care what people thought. I still was going to go to church, period. While I was locked up in that basement, it was just a matter of time before he just, you know, decided to do whatever he was going to do. But I was praying. I started praying. And I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll change my life for you. Just don't let me die. Mm -hmm. If you save me this time, I'm done. I'm done. And so what happened was a few days later, that guy's friend came to that house looking for him and came down to the basement and found me. I ended up getting, he helped me get out of the basement. I ended up leaving New York and I flew back to LA and I never looked back again. Right. So when you came back, was it like steps? Like, okay, I have to go back and I have to kind of cut ties here and cut ties here. Or was it like cold turkey? Like what did that actually look like for you? It was cold turkey. I had a little business phone where all the clients will call me. Mm-hmm. I, I I lost the phone. I actually lost left it in church, to be honest with you. I went to church one night, <laughs> and I left it. I think I left it in the bathroom stall or whatever. I don't know mm-hmm. where I put it. It was God. He took that phone. He said, you don't need this phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was in church, and I think I left it in the bathroom stall or whatever. By the time I realized it and went back, the phone was gone, and I didn't wow. even care. So that was my money phone. Yeah. So nobody had any way to contact me. I had no way to contact them. And plus, I was done. Like, I didn't... I. I I completely cut it off. I walked away with the clothes on my back because I knew two things. 
if I go back, I'm either going to die or I'm going to get HIV, one or the yeah. other. It's, yep. it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, period. Mm-hmm. And I know that God does not play with us. We always talk about a sovereign and graceful and merciful God, but mm-hmm. there's another side to him yep. as well. For sure. And so I didn't want to encounter that other side after making a vow to him that I was going to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you get me out of this, I'm done. I'm done, God. And, you know, we make so many false promises all the time. We say so many times, Lord, if you do this for me, I'm going to do that. Right. And we don't do it. And this time I was like, no, no, I've lied so many times, but this time I'm so serious. So I walked away cold turkey. Yeah. And it says in the Bible, you know, like when you go back, it's like seven times worse or whatever. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure at that point you're like, I can't even imagine. I was just locked in a basement for three weeks. Like, right. How much worse could it get? I said death is after this. Uh Death is definitely after this. Yeah. I'm just like going back a little bit. Like when you know, you moved in with your mom and all that, like, what, where was she kind of through this whole, like, process, like, did she notice, like, you know, did she care, really, that you were in and out, was it anything like that, like, did, you know, like, especially with, you know, you getting into different things with your church choir, like, did your grandparents notice, like, what was your family's reaction to kind of, like, your life and what you were going through and those kind of things? Do you know, a lot of them did not know what I was doing until my book came out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wrote a book entitled From Porn to the Pulpit, where I was very real and raw, Yeah, and a lot of them found out with the rest of the world what I was doing. The wow, reason why yeah. is because when I, when I ran away, when I was young, I never came back. Mm. Like, I mean, I came to visit, but I never moved back. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to them, they just thought my excuse and my, my reasons for all this money and how I was mm-hmm. able to live on my own was that I had rich boyfriends. Like they thought oh. that I was dating football, which I was, but yeah. they were my clients. They right. weren't my boyfriend. Right. You know, so I would say, you know, I'm dating this football player. I'm dating a basketball player. I'm dating a rapper. Mm. I was in, you know, they, I had pictures with these people. I was out with these people, but I was, you know, not a girlfriend. I was something else. So they thought, well, Danielle is just, she meets rich guys and they take care of her, you know, or she has a boyfriend and he pays her rent and her car notes and, you know, takes her shopping. That's, That's just how I portrayed it. Yeah. If you're not kind of in that world, if you're not looking for it, I mean, I feel like that would kind of be something not easy to find, you know, like it's not like they were looking. But yeah, I I guess I just wondered that. And then it's like, you know, you always kind of hear about people who, you know, are like addicted to porn or different things like that, prostitution. And they say, like, I had all this money and I was miserable. But like, can you explain like what that like really felt like? Because I feel like when you're like, okay, I was miserable, like to people who have not been in there it's like almost where you can't still understand it because you're like, but you're um, you're rich. Like, what do you mean, you know? Um, and so it's yeah. like that kind of like part, that kind of question, I guess, floats around for people who don't understand that fully because it's like, dang, like you have no worries in the world. Your rent's paid, you have no bills, like you can do whatever you want. What do you mean you're actually miserable, you know? So just kind of explain how that actually feels in the inside, inner you. Absolutely. Yeah, I had money. I, I definitely had money. I was able to buy whatever I wanted to buy. But look what I had to do to do it. Right. Look what I had to do to get it. And that was 
the most degrading feeling. You know, it's one thing if you work hard or if you're the CEO of a company or, you know, you're the manager or something like that and you're making an honest living and you're making really good money as a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a business owner, and you, you know, you feel good about this. I didn't feel good about what I had to do. It's literally like selling your soul. You're degrading. You're a person is telling you, you know, to do filthy things in order to get this money. So how, how, you know, happy could you be about that? And so we numb ourselves with the drugs and the mm. alcohol just to get through it. But internally, no woman wants to be used as a rag doll. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. In order to get money. And so it's like, yeah, I have money, but look at what I'm doing to get it. I was, this money wasn't inherited. It wasn't passed down. I didn't hit the lotto. You know, I, I'm actually degrading my body. Yeah. I'm, you know, doing things that I wouldn't normally do, that I'm not comfortable doing, but this is this is fast money. This is what I've gotten accustomed to. And mm. it was sickening to me. It was degrading as a woman. It was just like... You're just a man's rat dog, you know, and then your reputation, people know you as, you know, use my language, H-O-E, that after getting called out of your name so much, all of that, like all of that comes with it. It's like, yeah, I got money, but your reputation is ruined. Yeah, I have money, but I'm I'm sitting up here letting men, you know, do the foulest thing to me in order yeah. for me to get it. Yeah, yeah, I have money, but look at look at my lifestyle. Right. I'm high. I have to spend most of the money on drugs just to get through it. Yeah. Because I could never do any of that sober. Wow, that's crazy. That's, I guess, man, like, I just can't even imagine, like, having that be somebody's day-to-day, you know? Like, because that, yeah. when you say it's your job, like, no, you're literally doing that every day, hours every a day, day, you know? And, um, you're right. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Has... Have you, like, now that you're out of it and, you know, you're moving forward and, like, your ministry and all that stuff, have you ever either had this happen or had this worry of, like, maybe the industry, like, catching up to you? Like, have you had moments where people, you know, are like, oh, I actually recognize you or, you know, or whatever that is? Like, have you ever had that fear of, like, you know, those videos that you didn't think of, they're still out probably, you know? Like, what is that like now? Yeah, when I first got been out for over out i got out of the out of the industry in 2008 so we're talking about 11 years out Mm. but when it first happened the first year two years three years it was very embarrassing because i'm trying to now i'm talking about jesus and i'm saved and praise the lord and people like hey there's that porn star right hey that's that stripper girl you know so i was beyond embarrassing i talked about that in my book from porn to the pulpit that i was you know i came out and i was just so happy about my transformation but other people were not you know i'm around here talking about how good god is and they're looking at me like i'm crazy they're like yeah but i remember that you used to do this but aren't you that girl that was just doing this you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i went through that embarrassment and that shame for years even now in my ministry you know there are some people you know everybody doesn't it's not a fan of you and everybody you know it's not going to support you and there are some people who are like oh now you're talking about god but i, I still have your video mm. you know so even now you still i still experience things like that wow. but at this point after 11 years later i have you know thick skin but when i first got out it was humiliating yeah. it was embarrassing it was heartbreaking because i'm like you know i was a young girl now I, i'm doing right and nobody can see the god in me all right. they can remember was my sin i always wondered because you know we all like 
even in politics, like you see it, like they'll be doing great things and then randomly something will come up. Like you did this so many years ago and you're like, oh my gosh, that's not, that's not me anymore. You know? So I always wondered with, you know, how, how known you were actually becoming if that ever, you know, came up where you had to almost deal with it again, even though that's a different person. Yes, definitely. So definitely came out of, you know, that, that basement experience, you came out, you came back, you cut ties cold turkey you started to change your life you know go back to church get you know introduced and then you know you have a youtube video that i was watching which is again i can post that and link that up on the podcast that's so inspiring too just to kind of hear your heart and see everything but there was a moment in that where you actually spoke on you know your your hatred for for males for men um because what you went through so kind of talk about that and then tell me um you know how you got to where you are today you're you're married now right Mm-hmm. Yeah, there so tell us about that whole <laughs> testimony of, like, how you came from that to this. Okay, so I looked at men like the boogeyman. <laughs> like, they were just, like, the boogeyman to me. Every time I was hurt, it was by a man. I was molested by a man. I was raped by a man. I was beaten by a man. You know, I got pregnant by a man that left me. And, you know, just, it was everything that ever happened to me, it was done by a male. And it, it just built this this dislike and this hatred towards them, even to the point where, you know, I, I, I dibbled and dabbled in lesbianism because mm. I was like, I'm, guys are just disgusting and right. they're just horrible. And they just, you know, they're, every time I was hurt, it was by a man. Yeah. And then, you know, when I started dancing and stuff, it was like my revenge. Like, okay, these guys are liking me. And there were men that were proposing to me left and right. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to use you for your money. Right. That's my way of getting back to you that was my revenge you know um and it just it was really bad and I went got girlfriends and all kind of stuff you know Mm -hmm. thinking that that would heal me and it didn't you know how I went from hatred to now having a whole husband (laughs) is I had to get healed yeah I had to allow God to heal those broken places and that's exactly what I was broken from things that happened to me. And one thing my husband had taught me, one thing my husband taught me from being with him all these years, he said, you don't make a person pay for someone else's mistakes. Wow. That's how I looked at guys. It mm-hmm. was like, no matter what kind of man I met, whether he was an upstanding guy, whether he was a great guy, whether he was a hood guy, whether he was a gangbanger or a Wall Street worker, mm-hmm. I all looked at them the same way. And he taught me that you don't hold one man accountable for the mistakes of everybody right. else. And so I had to get healed and I had to allow God to come in and fix those broken places. And once those places was healed, the, the, the scales came off my eyes, yeah. in a sense, you know, towards them. I started looking at life differently. So those, that was that was those particular men that did those particular things. But you can't box every guy, you know, mm-hmm. in this thing and say they're all horrible and they're all because they're not. Yeah. God healed my heart. He healed, He removed that anger um, obviously, because I'm married. Yeah. So tell me about <laughs> tell me that story. Like, how did you? I don't. I, how did you even give him a chance? You know what? <laughs> was so funny. It, it was. It was very strategic. <laughs> we started off as friends. That's why it wasn't. I think if we would have, if it would have happened any other way, it wouldn't have worked. Right. We started off as friends. Um, 
So I didn't have to hide anything. Right. That was one of the things, because dating for me was so hard before, because I was like, how am I going to tell them that I was a dancer? Right. How am I going to tell them that I used to do porn? Because when I was dating before, and I would tell guys, and I will finally build up the strength, like, okay, I like him, he's going, this is consistent, let me tell him the truth before someone else tells him. Because I had that happen, not tell anybody, and then we go on a date, or we go around his friends or family, and they're like, pulling him to the side, like, hey, I know her, she was, you know, just in the third, so it was just so difficult. Yeah. And so when I would tell guys, I would get two reactions. Either they would want to instantly have sex or they would walk away because they wouldn't know how to deal with my past. So with my husband now, we started off as friends, and so I didn't have to lie about anything. He knew. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just, we. I wasn't interested in him in the beginning. I don't think he was interested in me in the beginning. We yeah. just was really good friends. And then he knew my story. And then one day he asked, he said, I want to buy a book for, from you just to support you. And I said, okay, cool. So I brought him a book and he ended up reading the book. And a few days later, I, I saw him and he was like, um, yeah, can I talk to you? I read the book. I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. He was like, you know, I just basically want to take you out on a date and show you that not all men are the same. Oh, man. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and from there, we've been together ever since. I'm all sure. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, you know, you've been through a lot. And I yeah. just want to show you that, you know, all guys aren't the same. And I just was so amazed that he knew everything about me. Yeah. He knew about my past. There were no secrets. And yet he still wanted to date me. And then later on, he wanted to marry me. Yeah. You know, and it was just like, what? Right, <laughs> you right. know, and so that's how that worked out. Yeah, that's and awesome. Birthday, by the way. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Happy birthday. That's so awesome. You know what's crazy about that, too, is it's, like, almost like a very tangible way for you to experience, like, the Lord. You know, like, the Lord's love and stuff. It's like, man, no matter what you've been through, like, I'm still here and I'm still interested, you know? Yes, yes. It's it's like a perfect love story. and It does remind me of God that he can love us in spite of. Yeah, yeah. So tell me kind of what, what your life looks like now. So you came out with a book right? I did. And it's called From Porn to the Pulpit. And I cannot wait to read it. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, I'm about to link it up so everybody can kind of check that out. Tell us where you're at now. And you know, how did you even get here? You know, being in full time ministry? How did you, you know, decide you wanted to write a book? Like where did where did that kind of all come up? Okay, so when I got out of the industry completely, a family member, she said, I don't know if this is going to work for you, but it works for me. I find healing in writing. Mm. And so she went to the store and she bought me like 10 notebooks and 10 pens. And she said, write, just write, write journal, write, you know. And before I know, I just started, God started bringing things back to me that I tried to purposely forget. You know, now I was sober. So, you know, the drugs and the alcohol didn't have my mind all messed up. And in my sober state of mind, I started remembering things and things started coming back to me. I just was writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And so when I finally finished, I let her read it. And she said, this is a book. I was like, I ain't writing no book. <laughs> she was like, this is a book and you need to, this, this, the world needs to hear about this. And I was like, nah, I don't want the world to know because I still had that shame. There were a lot of people that knew 
um, you know, I was, I'm from Los Angeles, so yeah. a lot of people in L.A. knew about me because I was in L.A. dancing. I was in L.A. doing pornography. Right. I was in L.A. doing all this stuff. So a wow. lot of people in L.A. knew about it, but when you start talking about telling the world, right. that's a whole other story. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yep, wait a sure. minute now. <laughs> for sure. You know? Yeah, so she was like, the world is, I'm like, no! So when I finally, I guess, it, it just started pulling on me so heavy that my little journal, my little diary was going to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what made me, you know, really push it to turn it into a book. You know, I knew that I was going to get a lot of backlash. I knew that it was probably going to be some people that were upset. I knew it was going to be some people that were going to call me out of my name, which I went through all of that. Yeah. The basis of it, I knew that my story was going to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I turned my diary into a book. And it literally went all over the world. There were people in Africa, people in London, people in Canada, people in the Caribbean mm-hmm. that got this book all over the United States. And they all had reached out to me and was like, oh, my God, even if they didn't do pornography, there's so many things that I touch about, touch on, um, like drug abuse, alcohol abuse, rape, molestation, mm-hmm. the absence of a father, you know, mental illness, sexual identity, you know, just different things that I touch on. So you don't have to be in the porn industry or a stripper to relate to my story you know there are so many things that I went through that I can you know minister to so many different people about and so I ended up putting the book out there and then um, once the book came out, there were so many ministry engagements. They were It was overwhelming that I had to leave my job. It was either you're going to get fired yeah. or you're going to quit. Yeah. And so I left a job and I started, you know, they started bringing me into universities to talk about human sex trafficking and, you know, do all these seminars and then radio and television and churches. It just It just was so much that I was like, you know what? this is what I'm supposed to do. And I prayed about it. I said, God, do you want me to go into full-time ministry? And it was like, uh, duh. Right, for sure. <laughs> I'm overbooking you on purpose. Dang. I need you to do this. Yeah. And so then it went into, from a book to a ministry to even a mentorship where I get girls wow. that are going through some of the same things. Girls that, girls that are on the streets, girls that are, you know, have been raped or molested or runaways and all of that. And I mentor them and I help them. So it's just become my life now. Wow. That is, that is literally so, like, it almost has, like, no words because it's like, dang, you go through something and it's almost a full circle. Like, not only are you in full-time ministry, but you're speaking to the girls that you were, you know? Exactly. That is so cool how God, like, used that. And everything God does is full circle usually, you know? And it's just yes. so cool to see it at the end of the story. And it's like, dang, like, God put me through that and used me to go back to those girls, you know? And not I, only that, I now have a stage play. Yeah. From Porn to the Pulpit is a stage play. Yeah. And to get to see this story acted out on stage is even, like, it's bizarre. I'm sure. So How did bizarre. you feel seeing that the first time? I cried like a baby. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I think every show, even in our rehearsals, I cry, mm-hmm. I cry, I cry every time. Like, these actors, like, we, I, I'm in Atlanta now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they say Atlanta is like the new Hollywood, yep. you know, all the singers and actors yep. are here. And so when they came to audition, it was like, okay, this is getting real. But then when I picked the actors and the singers and we started rehearsing and they were acting out my script, it was like, this is my, it, yeah. I don't even know how You're to like watching your life. Yes. Oh my gosh. It is the, whew, it is the most, it's rewarding, but it is so 
Oh my God, I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. It just does something to me every time. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it over and over again, but every rehearsal, every show, it just, it does something to me. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's literally like, man, I need to, I need to see it. <laughs> I need to come. I, <laughs> I, um, no, I'm seriously like so blessed, like by this story, like, and you just being at a place, you know, coming on here and being able to actually talk about it because a lot of people will come and, you know, they'll like go through all these things, but they're like not really ready to talk about it and when you can fully like talk about the details and the nitty-gritty of your story like that's when God can set other people free and so just hearing your story like I can't wait for people to hear this because it's going to change people's lives you know I'm sure it already is I know it so um, I can't wait to just have another another platform to reach people who haven't heard it yet and get connected to you so tell me some of your social media Instagram website all that kind of stuff Okay, my Instagram is Minister Danny, and that's D-A-N-N-Y. Facebook is Danielle Williams McCord. Twitter is Minister Danny, D-A-N-N-Y. My website is www.dwm, that's Danielle Williams McCord, ministries.com, D-W-M ministries.com. But you can connect with me on any social media network or through the website. Thank you so much, Danielle, for being here and just talking to me, just sharing your story. I'm super blessed by it. Thank you so much for having me. for listening to this podcast if you have a story that you'd like to share email me at tomlinsonpodcast at mail.com also don't forget to subscribe to my facebook page and apple podcast streaming platform you can also follow me on instagram at autumn underscore tomlinson underscore 